Yes. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. Today's Up In Your Business episode with Carrie McCoy will feature two different guests, and they have some things in common. We're going to let Carrie introduce you to both of them. Guest number one is Miss Olivia Farrell, the self-taught publisher and CEO of the award-winning weekly journal, Arkansas Business. Under Olivia's leadership, this business journal that she co-founded in 1984 grew to become a publishing conglomerate of roughly 30 title publications across two states. To better represent her expanding business, Olivia broadened the company name to Arkansas Business Publishing Group. Under this diverse business model, she grew the company revenues from 100000 are you ready, to $8 million and over 70 employees. Last year, Miss Farrell did what I know must have been hard and sold her baby, Arkansas Business Publishing Group, to her savvy employee and maybe her biggest fan, Mitch Bettis. Together, they share the same business ethics of a family-friendly workplace, honorable business relationships, factual reporting, and service to others. Speaking to that, Olivia in 1998 co-founded with Ms. Pat Lyle the Arkansas Women's Foundation, which works to ensure economic security for Arkansas women and girls. Today, we're going to hear Ms. Farrell's story, a single mom with two children who broke rules and glass ceilings, first by appearing on the 1977 Arkansas Times Magazine cover Living It Up in High Style Edition with a Lit Joint, <laughs> to becoming CEO and owner of Arkansas Business Publishing Group. Olivia Farrell is guest number one on today's program. Who's guest number two? Alan Leverett. Who, in 1974, with a few friends, launched the Arkansas Times, an alternative monthly magazine about political and cultural news in Arkansas. Following the 13-year war between the two newspapers, Arkansas Gazette and Arkansas Democrat, which resulted in the closing of the Gazette in 1991 and the renaming of Democrat to the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Allen said, and I quote, we wanted to keep the Gazette's voice alive in the community. And last but not least, when Allen is not trying to change the world, he is a second-generation farmer or third? Mm, third. Third-generation farmer. I read you started your media career in college. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, actually, I started a newspaper at North Little Rock High School called Essence. And I was actually a conservative activist, a conservative political activist in high school. I came from a very conservative family politically and was active in Young Americans for Freedom. And so I started Essence in high school my senior year and then took it to college with me. And it was a libertarian, independent student newspaper. That's not conservative. Well, it is, actually. It's, Libertarianism it's is conservative? What's the definition of that? Well, libertarian libertarians believe in very, very limited government. Oh. And so they want to keep the government out of your pocketbook. They also want to keep the government out of your bedroom. So well, I you know, agree it's, with it's, that. It's actually sort of like, you know, I, I respect libertarians the way I respect the Catholic Church. You know, I, don't, I don't agree with their stance on abortion, but it's very, very consistent with their pro-life stance on the death penalty. I respect the Catholic Church because even though I disagree on abortion, they are very, very consistent in their pro-life. Not like many evangelical conservatives who say, well, we're pro-life when it comes to abortion, but we're going to all for the death penalty. So, oh, I never thought about that. So libertarians are the same way. Whereas the social conservatives, they want to get the government out of your pocket, but they want to put the government back in your bedroom. Libertarians are very consistent in saying that we want as little government as possible. I've never thought about either of those issues. So after you got out of college, you started another newspaper. Jim Bell, the owner of Publishers Bookshop, gave me $200. I asked Jim if he wanted to buy stock. And he said, well, how much are you looking for? And I said, what do you got? He says, well, I'll give you $200. I said, great. I'd been down to Parkin Printing Company, and I'd bought me a blank stock certificate. So I filled it out and gave it to him, and he gave me $200. Found out years later he had written down in his checkbook donation because he never expected to see the $200 again. So that newspaper was called? Union Station. That's Times. right. 
and which eventually morphed into Arkansas Times because we realized we couldn't make a living as a neighborhood newspaper. And we were down on this little railroad house down on 2nd Street by the train station, Union Station. And David and I lived in the back, and then we put out the, and our volunteer staff, we put out the... Was it conservative? No, it was it was moving in a more liberal direction. It was mainly, it was focused, it wasn't so political, it was really focused on investigative reporting. We weren't near as peggable, if you will, although I remember Siebert Distributing, they were the magazine distributor here in Little Rock back then, and Mr. Siebert decided we were communist, where he came up with that. <laughs> But he said we were communist, and so he wouldn't distribute us. So that's when we started having to put out boxes and come up with all kinds of ways to get the newspaper in people's hands. And that Union Station newspaper Union that Station was investigative Times. reporting morphed Trying into the Arkansas Times. Today. Right, as we it became Union Station Times and Arkansas's Union Station Times. In the beginning of that profile of Alan Leverett, you may have heard him mention that he started his journalism career at North Little Rock High School with a newspaper. That seems to be a good place to start with Olivia Farrell, her education. In one article I read, and I don't know which is right, I read you're a political science major, and then in another I read you are a bachelor's degree in history and English. So which is it? Well, I was a political science major, and then I decided, you know, finishing college is going to be hard, and I love to read, so why don't I finish up with my English literature degree? And it just ended up that I had enough credit to get also a history so it really was English in history. Oh. Yeah. So you're everything. Just everything? <laughs> yeah. Nowhere did I read that you studied journalism. So what I were your plans it. when you I were going to, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Yeah. Okay. So this is really embarrassing. But I thought <laughs> when I was uh, leaving Europe, you know, I, did, I went to school in Europe for a while. I thought, gosh, what I want to be when I finish school, do I want to work in a bookstore or a record shop? Because oh, that's such a hard choice, right? <laughs> At the time, this was seventy-seven or something like that. Um, yeah, so that those were my great aspirations. At that point in time, uh, then it was just to um, get a job after I finished school. And Alan Leverett, who at that time had started the Arkansas Times, tricked me into coming to work for him. He was my neighbor in a quadruplex. We lived in the Quapaw Quarter, and he kind of tricked me into coming to work with him at the Arkansas Times. And I made the fourth person on the team. So there were four of us in 1978. And I fell in love with the business, just fell in love with publishing. Everything he didn't just it. trick you into working there. He asked you to come in on the cover of a very <laughs> controversial cover. Yes. You weren't even working for him when that happened, were no, you? No, no. That's why I was his neighbor. And so he... he You're living in downtown Little Rock? Yes. Upstairs uh-huh. from his... He and his girlfriend... And uh, he said, I've got this cover. I want to actually do somebody smoking a joint. Would you mind? You know, because I'm the neighbor upstairs. And I said, sure, that'd be great. You didn't think I'm going to get arrested? I mean, it's 1977. People were going to jail for stuff No, like no. It was, and, and this is what's really funny, Carrie. My mother was so proud of that cover <laughs> that she had it out on her coffee table. <laughs> She's in print. She's in print. Can you imagine? I love that so much. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I thought, you know, I was a little concerned about that. But no, she was, she, this is my daughter right there. <laughs> I love your mother who's still alive. Shout yes. out to mom if you're listening. Um, what was the article about? It was called Living It Up in High Style was the name of the cover that you were on. Yeah. So what was the article about? Well, in 78, you know, that was at the height of the consumption of marijuana, certainly. And what the article focused on was the fact that it was within high society, if you will, that, you know, the wealthy and the rich were partaking. It wasn't just a youth drug, but that it it actually made its way into the upper echelons of society. Oh, high, living it up high, living it up in high style. I see. So uh, I heard your editor was Bill Terry because Alan Leverett was not the editor. No, he was the publisher. And so the editor, I heard, was a little upset that he did that, or did he know that y'all were going to do that cover? No, no, he did. What he was concerned about was he was scared to death that I was going to get stoned while we were shooting the cover because it was a live. So you're smoking? Yeah. No, I wasn't. It was lit. I wasn't. I wasn't inhaling. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But he was very nervous. Every time we would do some some shots, he would take it away from me. 
you know, because he was afraid I'd get stoned while we were shooting. That, oh. that was that was his only concern, I think. Yeah. So then you, I read where you wanted to go into the foreign services aspirations. Yes. But no, actually, I'd forgotten about that. Thank you for reminding me. I, as I mentioned earlier, I have lost, lost half my brain. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because of my time in Europe, yeah, after that time, I decided the foreign service would be the coolest thing to do. And my father said, well, you can't go off to D.C. at the time. This was June of 78. And you could only take the Foreign Service exam in December of every year. And he said, you have to save $5,000 before you can move to D.C. And so that's why I started the job. I remember now. I'd forgotten that. Um, Started the job at Arkansas Times. But you also fell in love with publishing at the same time. I did. No, as soon as I started working there... I, I have to say, I hated advertising sales, but um, I got really good at it because we, you know, we needed the revenue to do the rest of it. But I loved the publishing business. I loved all the people in the publishing industry. I loved the writers and the designers. And, you know, I loved print. I loved reading. Arkansas Times at that time was so devoted to having really good quality writers from around the state and we we at that time had just a lot of really great ones with wonderful writing uh we actually were doing investigative reporting very important investigative reporting at that time so it was a it was a thrill it was a thrill and i loved the people i just loved the people in the publishing industry you just heard olivia farrell comment on the quality of the writers at the arkansas times that stays true today as Alan Leverett points out, the top of the heap. Max Brantley with the Arkansas blog, arkansastimes.com. His blog is he'll do 20 posts a day. What? Uh, oh, yeah. No, he'll be sitting there watching the live feed of the legislature on the debates and everything. Plus, he knows where everybody is buried in the state of Arkansas. So he can bring that 50 years of experience as a working journalist, his knowledge of the legislature and technology. and deliver really good, insightful. Does anybody reporting. else do that? Do blogs, like 20 blogs a day from the legislature? No, is he no the one, only one? No, no one's doing that now, right now in this market. And no one does it as persistently as Max does. That's so, wonderful. Yeah. So it's really good. If you're, if you're interested in breaking news and breaking news from a really, really informed left of center perspective, Max at ArkansasTimes.com. The Arkansas blog is the place to go. Is that free to be on the Arkansas Times? Everything at the Arkansas Times is free except the Arkansas blog. And the Arkansas blog is a meter. It has a metered paywall. So, like, you can go there 10 times a month free of charge. And then we cut you off because we're trying to all of us live indoors. And as you said, technology <laughs> is changing. And so we are trying to find new advertising revenues and new revenue streams. And what we found is that we need to be. You need money. The, the pe- we need money. Yeah. yeah the people. The technology people, is expensive. The, the people who, well, people are expensive. People like Max who have the experience and the knowledge and the know-how, I've got to pay them. And so readers have got to step up and help pay that bill too, not just advertisers anymore. Yeah. And so the Arkansas Times is free. It's everywhere. You can oh, yeah. pick it up everywhere. So Ar- you can't make money off of that. It's not like the newspaper where you have a subscription. There's well, no subscription. We, we may... The Arkansas Times, you know, we, we like we joke internally, we're aspirationally profitable. But the Arkansas Times sells advertising. We sell a lot of advertising. Yeah. Plus, we do other things. Like you said, El Latino. We do Arkansas Wild Magazine, which is eight times a year. It's a statewide. We do two bike magazines a year, four Arkansas Wild Magazines a year. We do Paddle Magazine once a year. We do a lot how of things. How many employees do you have? We have 35. And how many freelance people do you have? A few. We use some freelance. We rely on the Arkansas Times. We're probably 80% staff written. We've got seven full-time staff members in the Times. This has been a rough time for newspapers all over the United States. You know, the Democrat has, has had to lay off, gosh, I don't know, 15, 20 reporters. And we have been able to avoid that, but it's been very, very difficult. So, Alan, the Arkansas Gazette, I read when I was doing the research for you, mm-hmm. started in 1819 mm-hmm. in Arkansas before it was even a state. Right. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. When it folded in 1991, its assets were purchased by the then Democrat newspaper. Mm-hmm. What did you think about all that? Because you were already in business. My second job was writing weekend obituaries at the Arkansas Democrat. I could barely type. And my third job was 
being the weekend obituary writer at the Arkansas Gazette a year later. So I'd worked at both papers, and I, that's, by the way, the lowest of the lowest entry-level jobs is not only not, not only to be the obit writer, be the weekend obit writer, <laughs> but I knew that the Gazette was by far the, the best paper in terms of reporting, in terms of journalism had a sorry business office. Absolutely, there was nothing but order takers. But what a salesman in amongst them. And, you know, they were, the Democrat was only a quarter of the size of customers as the Gazette had. Right, but you had you had a very, very dedicated publisher. You had a young guy that had a very, very deep pockets from his family's. Are you uh, talking about Mr. Husband? Yes, and yeah, he was young then. And he had very deep pockets. His family had been doing cable television for years and years. So he was able just to outlose the Gazette. And then when, when the owners of the Gazette sold out to Gannett, uh, you know, we thought, well, that's the end of the Democrat. But yes, what, right. But what we didn't realize is that for Gannett, this was a business decision. How many millions of dollars they were going to lose, they had to answer to stockholders. For Mr. Hussman, it was a lifestyle decision. I mean, do you want to be publisher of the daily newspaper in Little Rock, Arkansas? And that's a life, and that's that's hard to put a, a value on. And evidently, he put a greater value on it than Gannett and their stockholders did. And so ultimately, they walked, and he took over. And I will tell you, I think the Democrat today is a very good newspaper, and we're lucky to have a local owner. You see some of the sorriest papers in the world in some cities much larger than ours because they're daily papers. Uh, business is tough. You don't have a publisher that will commit personal resources to keep that paper alive and keep it doing what it ought to be doing for its community. And I think the Democrat does that. You know, we are lucky to have a local owner for our newspaper. Yeah. And it's not some big corporation in New York that's running exactly. it. And when I read about how good Walter Hussman did and what a great businessman he was and how competitive he was and how he just was not going to fold. When his subscribers were low, he went to the Gazette and said, do you want to buy my paper? And they said no. And 13 years later, they're folding and he's buying their assets mm -hmm. for probably yeah. 10 cents on the dollar. I'm sure it's frustrating, though, because when he took that over, basically he had a printing press for money when he was able to finally win that newspaper war, and it wasn't five or six years later, the bottom fell out of the newspaper business. But I'm sure he's made it back. But I'm, I'm yeah, and he's one of, Walter. and the Arkansas Gazette's one of the newspapers that is solvent across America. When everybody was not, it was solvent and is sometimes used as an example of how to do business. Oh, the Arkansas Gazette? Mm -hmm. Oh, it was, it was wildly profitable. Mm -hmm. And when references are made to a wildly profitable newspaper, that means advertising sales. And that's where we find Olivia Farrell and Alan Leverett intersecting. So you've met Alan Leverett. You're selling, ad, and he's just charming. It's hard not to do anything that Alan tells you to do. You're like, Carrie, go jump off the cliff. Okay, whatever you say, Alan. So he's, <laughs> he's talked you into being on the cover of this magazine with a very controversial ad of you smoking a marijuana cigarette. And now you're selling ads for the Arkansas Times. And within one short year, you are hooked on the business of publishing uh, and you're part of the Ar Arkansas Writers Project. What is the Arkansas Writers Project? At that time, the Arkansas Writers Project um, was primarily the Arkansas Times. It was... A division? No, it, it was a, a sub-core of Arkansas Writers Project. Um, Arkansas Writers Project was the corporation, and actually Arkansas Times was a product, if you will, of oh, the corporation. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to remember when we started branching into other publications. Um, it was pretty quickly, like within a few years. I think our first special publication was to do a newcomer's guide with the Chamber of Commerce. And what we found was it was very hard to make money at the Arkansas Times. And I've, I, I discovered after doing some analysis is that if chickens could read in Arkansas, we could have done great <laughs> business in the magazine, okay? Because there were a lot of chickens. Yes, and there just weren't enough readers. We, our saturation of the market was comparable to our peers, but there just weren't enough readers yeah. to make it work. Um, then when we launched into these ancillary publications, they were incredibly profitable. 
so, niche markets. Yes, exactly. Yes. So in this case, a newcomer publication, um, we started, we did it, I think our next one was a publication for for the Chamber of Commerce, their, their annual publication. Um, we branched off into things. Actually, I'm remembering now that we uh, were so successful with the Newcomer's Guide that we did one in El Dorado, which was a big defense contractor territory. I don't know if you remember that back in the early 80s. They have huge business, uh, defense contracting manufacturers down there. So they had a lot of newcomers. We did one in Fayetteville. We actually did one in Austin, Texas, and one in Raleigh, North Carolina. So those were our newcomer publications done by the Arkansas Writers Project, who was also publishing the um, Arkansas Arkansas Times. Times. That's right. And then they decided to start publishing the Arkansas Business Journal? That was in 1984. And what happened to us then was a young man – no, let me digress – and say we did a publication that was focused on – the companies in Arkansas who were tops in their field nationally. It was an incredible publication, really fascinating. It, I mean, like, who knew that the biggest manufacturer of rabbit feet was in Arkansas? A rabbit what? <laughs> rabbit feet. Yes. What? <laughs> lucky, lucky rabbit feet. Those. Yes, but think we about. We used to be one of the biggest rabbit producers in the country. Arkansas. Were we? Yeah, used to be. Yeah. Yeah. So there were a lot of feet available, um, but it was from. Boat manufacturers to um, rice production. It was just this phenomenal, when we got in and started digging around the state, phenomenal collection of businesses who were tops in their field nationally and internationally. And that was a wildly successful publication. We knew immediately there's something here doing this focus on business. And about that time, a young man named Dan Owens came to us and said, I want to start a business, Arkansas business publication. And we said, we do too. So we joined forces and launched Arkansas Business in 1984. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. You were already an owner of yes. the Arkansas Writers Project. I became an owner in 1982. I bought out, at that time, there are probably, in in that Arkansas Writers Project, there were probably, I'm going to say 25 stockholders. This is kind of interesting. Most of the stockholders were employees who had worked for nothing. And as a way to show gratitude, Alan went to the office supply store and bought the prettiest stockholder certificates he could find and gave those people stock, which they never thought would be worth anything. And just to jump forward real quickly, so when I sold the Arkansas Business Publishing Group. Last year. Yeah, these people made huge bucks. Oh, you're kidding. No, they did. They did. Now, at that time, going moving back to 1982, there were three major stockholders. At that time, we had two classes of stock, but there were three major stockholders who really had control of the company, and I bought one of them out. Um, a few years later, Alan and I bought out the third gentleman so that he and I were the primary stockholders. And then you had all these ex-employees, these early employees who had worked for nothing, holding the rest of the stock. Holding stock certificates. Yes. That they held forever. Yes. And so then 40 years later. Yeah, 40, 40 they decades get, later. They get them a little windfall. I love that. You were just, you're a Isn't great that incredible? <laughs> no, well, I'll tell you what was, one thing that was really funny. This um, was a, a previous employee who had uh, actually purchased additional stock and unfortunately he passed away, but his wife, when she received the proceeds, wrote me and she said, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. You're so kind to do this. I said, darling, your husband did this. I didn't do this. That's your nice. husband invested in this stock. And, yeah, she. I think she got like $70,000. Wow. So how many hats do you wear in the beginning at part of the Arkansas uh, Writers Project? You sold ads. Um, sold ads. I then would produce the ads that I sold. So I had to do, at that time, the photography. We had a photographer, but, you know, designing, styling, shooting, then writing the copy, designing, laying out the copy, producing the ads, then go and proof the press run when it comes off the press. We took turns proofing. Because it's offset printing back then. Right. 
yes, exactly. And then when it was time for the magazines to be distributed, we all took our share and went and distributed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it says you bought your partner out in 1995, though. Oh. So was that Alan Leverett? And I, it wasn't that I bought him out. That's a, that's a, a n- not correct. We split the company into two separate companies so that we could operate independently. And so he took Arkansas Times, yes. and you took Arkansas Business, yes. and a group of the special publications. And what, at the time, that's what I was going to say. So at the time in 1995, how many special publications were there? I think there were six. And he took some of them, no. or did he just take Arkansas? I Times? think six was what we had. Six special pubs, but I also took Little Rock Family with me, and Arkansas Business, and. So for everybody to know some of the titles you published, which they, everybody knows these magazines, but they may not realize they all come from the Arkansas Business right. Publishing Group, Soiree, yep. Arkansas Bride, Little Rock Family, Arkansas Next. That's well yeah. known in uh, high schools. It's a terrific magazine that addresses the information that you need to decide what you're going to do after you finish high school. And that, you know, that was really important when we launched that because there was such a brain drain in Arkansas. And we needed... What do you mean by that? Where our best and our brightest were leaving the state Mm -hmm. and going to school elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So we created a publication that really highlighted all of the opportunities within the state in the hopes of maintaining some of that power and potential here within the state. And we have since, or they have, uh, started before I left, uh, branched off into a section called Prose that is fantastic. I probably shouldn't be going on about this, but I like it so much. Uh, you know, there's a dearth of people going into the trades, a, just a dearth. Like, you know, the average age of the electrician. Nobody the- uses that word, dearth. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's a dearth of people going into trades. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> there is. And the... I was going to say that the the average age of like our plumbers and our electricians are are 55 and 65 and young people I think we went through a crazy time where we you know were we were high on four-year college and really didn't really sort of diminished the the trades and trade schools and all of that it was a big mistake Mm -hmm. so this young woman who I adore Rachel uh, her name's uh, her maiden name was Bradbury. It's now, it escapes me. But this brilliant young woman uh, actually was the publisher for this prose, and she did these great sexy shots of welders, plumbers, and linemen, and, and women too. I mean, I don't mean to be all excited That's about okay, that. That's okay, but those guys do men. look, those strong-looking right? young guys do look good. With, <laughs> with all the information about what it takes to do it, what they make, what their lifestyle, what their jobs are like, just an incredible, a, a sexy publication about going into the trades, which I've kind of been hammering my daughter and, and her boyfriend about, you know, go into auto mechanics. <laughs> There's not enough engineers either up no, there. No, 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 no. But engineers require a degree. Yeah. So when did this one come out? What's it called? What's the name Pros. of the Pros. Pros. It, it, it's part of Next. So it goes to oh. the same high school students. Oh, I see. But it's a way to say, look. You don't have to go to college. No. You can go do this. Well, I tried to talk all my kids out of going to college, which is why every one of them went and got a four-year degree. Right. <laughs> so you'd have to pay for it. Yes. Now, this is a good time to take a break. As we profile a couple of real big names in Arkansas publishing, Olivia Farrell and Alan Leverett on today's Up In Your Business program with Carrie McCoy. We'll be right back. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, starting from door-to-door sales, then telemarketing, to mail order and catalog sales. And now, flagandbanner.com relies heavily on the internet and live chats with customers all over the world. Today, she has branched out into podcasts, Facebook live stream, and YouTube videos of this radio show. Each week, you'll hear candid conversations between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting and inspiring. 
Stay up to date by joining FlagandBanner.com's mailing list. You'll receive our Water Cooler Weekly e-blast that notifies you of our upcoming guests, happenings at Dreamland Ballroom, sales at FlagandBanner.com, access to Brave Magazine articles, and Carrie's current blog post. All that in one weekly email. Or you may simply like FlagandBanner.com's Facebook page for timely notifications. It's the time of year to splash your home with as much red, white, and blue as possible. The patriotic season in the USA, it runs from Memorial Day all the way through Labor Day. And this year, you'll want to do it more proudly than ever before. Whether you're honoring frontline essential workers, first responders, or just the fact that you're thankful to be an American, theflagandbanner.com has everything you need to string pennants around the porch, hang full fans from windows, wrap columns in fabric, and top it all off with an American flag flying high. We also have answers to all your display questions on our website, too. Flagandbanner.com. All UIYB past and present interviews are available at Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy's YouTube channel, Facebook page, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette's digital version, Flagandbanner.com's website, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just ask your smart speaker to play Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. And by subscribing to our YouTube channel or FlagandBanner.com's email list, you will receive prior notification of that day's guest. Let's get back to this episode of Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, featuring a couple of great names in Arkansas publishing, Alan Leverett and Olivia Farrell. So we had a question during the break, and it is, with so many people getting their news online, is it hard to be competitive while keeping quality content? Well... First of all, we publish ArkansasTimes.com, which had 450,000 unique visitors last month, according to Google. It's the first or second largest news site in the state. So we have tremendous traffic there. We put a lot of resources into it. Max is there with the Arkansas blog doing breaking news and perspective all day. So It's only Arkansas news too, right? Yeah, it's primarily Arkansas. And But I tell you, you know, I, I get the... I have a subscription to the New York Times. It comes every day, the newspaper. And then also I subscribe to the Arkansas, I mean, the New York Times website. And I will read during the day. I, when I get a moment, I'll check and see what's going on. And I'll read a little bit of the New York Times website. And then at lunch, I will take my newspaper by myself and I'll sit down and I'll read the newspaper. And there's, I realize there's so much that I miss just from a, almost a technical point of view of looking at that website, not being able to turn a page and see a story you know, it's it's hard to find stories on the web, even on a good website like the New York Times. So I get so much more from sitting there reading my newspaper, but I also read the New York Times. But I always find there's plenty of stuff that I miss that I can sit down at lunchtime and spend an hour. It's and, hard and to navigate different. websites because an ad will come up and you'll shoot off in another direction. Yeah. It's so, People let it put a lot of thought into actually the print of the newspaper, what stories go together and how it flows. And you can't really see that on a website as well. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes the web sort of makes you have the attention span of a squirrel and <laughs> you know, you just, you're just bouncing all over the place. <laughs> but no, it also, I think, I think for long form journalism, print is far superior it's hard to sit there and read a 3000 word story online. It just very, very seldom happens. Whereas you could sit there with a magazine or a newspaper. And if the story is engaging and the, and the design is engaging, you very likely will get through it. And I feel smart when I'm reading a newspaper. <laughs> I don't necessarily feel smart when I'm reading, although I read on a Kindle, but I do feel smart when I'm holding a book. There you then go. I don't know why. So that kind of leads us into the next question. What do you see for the future of American journalism and news reporting? I don't think I really have any great insights on where journalism is going. People want news. We've already said that print is not out. We both agree on that. Yeah. And in whatever form, whatever technology does or doesn't bring us, people are still going to want news. You know, one of the things that I, I find interesting is a lot of people, sometimes you go to particularly small business people and they say, well, we're, we're doing all of our promoting on social media. Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting. Here you have a platform that has been so discredited. I mean, you can look at the presidential election, fake news, all the stuff, all the incredible untruths that have shown up on Facebook and all these different sites. You know, the Pope endorses Trump and (laughs) all this kind of stuff. And you know, if a newspaper did that, no one would read it. They would not trust it or a magazine or TV news or whatever. 
And yet people who have are operating a credible business who know that trust is an integral part of their relationship with their customers, they're relying on a, on a platform that has real credibility problems, which social media has developed. And I, I think Zuckerberg is absolutely aware of this, that they have got to do something to get control of the garbage that is showing up on social media, because otherwise people are not going to want to advertise on it. And I was talking to a friend of mine who published the Memphis Flyer, and he was with some bankers in Memphis the other day, and they were moving their budget back into his newspaper right. because they said, look, we're a bank. We've got to have credibility. We don't want our bank and our advertising associated. We don't know where our ads are going to show up on, what they're going to be next to. So they're wanting something that's curated. And that's what newspapers and magazines do is they deliver curated news that you have someone with a brain and who knows the difference between blatant untruths and truth. And they have, they've that's done their best. That's a great advertising to, to, tip for people out there that a lot of people feel like they're being pressured to do Facebook advertising and to do internet advertising. You but have, you just gave some great advice. You have no control what your ad is. Your ad could be sitting next to porn. Your ad could be sitting next to, you know, some, some troll from Russia. My Lord, you, yeah. you go through all this effort to, keep control of your message, your company's image, and you're going to put it up on Facebook? Are you crazy? Along those same lines, here's some interesting comments from Olivia Farrell on how online reading and the internet affected the culture of the company that she built. Uh, so you describe the company you built. The culture? Yeah. Cut. That's a good one. Yeah. I appreciate that question because I feel really strongly about this, and it's it's an idea that's getting a lot more traction and I think it's going to be imperative to our going forward and facing sort of the, the inequities that we're up against right now. Um, for me, it was never just about the stockholders. It was never – I always felt like the company to succeed needed to care equally about the employees who work there and their well-being – Certainly our customers, the readers, and the advertisers who sometimes were at odds with each other, but making sure that we took care of them, taking care of our vendors. You know, a lot of people, a lot of very successful businesses thrive on the idea that you squeeze everything you can out of your vendors until some of them go broke. And I prefer to do business with people who, I want you to make money, I want me to make money, I want us to be a good partnership, and then we help each other out. You know, if there's a, a problem, we've, we've made mistakes and had to reprint entire publications, and they'll do it at their cost, and, you know, there have been many instances where our vendors have saved us, and it's, I just think it's imperative you have a good relationship there, and then certainly the stockholders. I do. Sir, I care about them. I'm, I was the biggest one, so I did care about that. <laughs> but that wasn't the only thing. And I'm hearing more and more now, and corporations are, are really embracing this idea of we have a responsibility to more than just our stockholders. And I'm concerned that part of what hasn't created this inequity was the idea that we're only here for the stockholders. And I remember getting into an argument with one of uh, – a previous stockholder who was a Harvard business grad who was an adherent of your only responsibilities to your stockholder. And to me, that was just, you know, that's so wrong for your community, for the health of your company. And I, I do think one of the reasons that we thrived, and in particular as the newspaper business declined precipitously with the advent of the Internet, our business did not we continued to thrive, and I, I give a lot of that credit to the quality of the people that we had there, the, the, the motivation to do really good quality products, the relationships we had with our advertisers and with, our again, our vendors and in the community. I, I think that was really part of our success. When I go to sell, because I have a magazine too, when I go to sell uh, Brave Magazine to an advertising agency, First thing out of their mouth is because I believe in print and I believe that people like to go to the mailbox and get a good magazine and go sit on their couch and watch and read it. If you looked around my house, there are a million publications laying around. Sure. You know, we're on the Internet. We're on our laptops all day. 
But but when I go to an ad agency and I say, you know, buy an ad for this, these are the people it's going to go to, and I give them the demographics of it, they say, well, I can't measure it. How did uh, how did Arkansas business how counter that? Because yeah, you can't you you I mean you can like, see a Google click and you go, well, you got a three point one ROI return, you know, on no, that. No, well, clicks certainly are meaningless, but they. No, they are. The clicks are. Tell like it is. That's right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it is at the end of the day. What kind of engagement did you get, and did you actually sell something? And and unfortunately, so many people don't look at what the return on investment is. Mm-hmm. Where it is much more quantifiable on the internet. Um, so we compensated for that by knowing very precisely who our audience was. So we spent a lot of money on research to be able to say this is exactly who you're going to reach. We used testimonials to talk about that we used mathematics to quantify you know again from research what the reach is what the you know penetration is what one thing i like to say people in the olden days talked about cost per thousand cpm and in the same way that roi in internet is important i talked about cost per effective reach so what's it really costing you to reach the person who really can be a potential buyer and so we use those kind of mechanisms to offset our ability to have a direct response that we could measure and say, here's your ROI. One more broad historical perspective from Alan Leverett of the Arkansas Times that takes the inspiration for the weekly newspaper back 64 years. If you go back to the 1957 integration crisis, what saved Little Rock, in my opinion, in terms of sort of the soul of Little Rock, was while the community and the Arkansas Democrat basically had turned themselves over to the mob. The Arkansas Gazette took a very principled stand, went through a very, very difficult advertiser boycott, and said, basically, we need to follow the law here, the law of land disintegration. We need to integrate Central High School. For that reason, all the banks, the retailers, the department stores, all walked out on the Gazette. They lost a million dollars that year, and that was when a million dollars was a million dollars. Yeah, And the Gazette won the admiration of most of the journalists in the nation at that time because of the family's willingness to to take that hit. And so when that newspaper was shutting down and its assets were being taken over by the old segregationist afternoon paper that you know was the Democrat, or that was their heritage, and it was a very conservative paper, I just felt like that we needed to keep that voice here in the community. And so I went out and Marl Everett, my wife at the time, she said, well, why don't we take the magazine and turn it into a, a weekly newspaper? And I looked at it and I said, that's a great idea. So I raised $680,000 from 22 business people here in the community. And we took the monthly Arkansas Times magazine to weekly and hired the senior staff of the Arkansas Gazette as they were hitting the streets. Oh, so you gave people jobs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't, didn't give everybody a job, but we gave... The best. Gave a lot of people. George Fisher came to work for us, and Ernie Dumas, and Max Brantley, and a lot of people. Yeah, I bet that was a really exciting time in your life. That's still exciting. <laughs> One of the best aspects of programs like this, where you get to revisit long, successful careers with guests, is the perspective that it gives them. Decades in a business will really make you think about how things happened the way they did. Here's Olivia Farrell. You never felt gender mattered in your career. It, let me say it it did matter, but I just went on anyway. And I was fortunate because I was raised by a father who really expected me to be able to do anything I wanted. He kind of raised me like his only son. See, and that's why we both were fearless about going into whatever field or endeavor we wanted. Your Mulan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love Mulan. But that, well, I'm going to take it on. Yeah, I I was the only woman in the room for the first half of my career, over and over and over and over again. It just didn't bother me. I just said, um, you know, I I guess I did from a very early age want to be better than any of the guys because I was defensive about being a woman in in the way you and I were socialized. I don't know if it's better for, for Gray, but the way we were socialized, we were second class citizens and i just didn't accept it i never felt like um i never felt like it was a handicap though no i felt like i was the only girl in the room but i never felt like it was 
I was a handicap. I was there on value because I deserved to be there. Yes, but I, but I do have to concede that I would oftentimes put a man as the face of my company. Well, they don't get pregnant and have to go out on maternity leave. Well, that shouldn't matter. I mean, do we not want to propagate the earth? I mean, you know, that's part of life. I'll tell you the other thing. This is when I first started the special pubs or special publications unit, those niche publications that were so wildly profitable. I had I hired only single mothers, and they were the hardest working, absolutely most effective employees in the company because they had to get their stuff done. There was no lollygagging around. They had to get her done. They had to support their children, and they were ace employees and built. This phenomenal division within my company. And task-oriented, multitaskers. I'm great. Don't you think there's more women at Arkansas Flag and Banner than men? There are certainly more women at the table, literally. At the the big table. At the management table. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. great. Absolutely. I love that. So the changes you saw during your nearly 40-year reign, what were they? Besides, I mean, I'm sure you went from offset printing to digital printing. No. No, we continue to be offset. Are we? Are you still offset printing? No. Digital printing? You know, offset printing is where they make those plates. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Girl, you can you see how removed I am. Too <laughs> long. Doesn't take long. <laughs> it's, it's gone. Does it? It's yeah. a good thing you sold that business. <laughs> no, didn't. They're so much better off. Um, no, uh First of all, it's just that we were so poor and had to do everything. So going from, we were just kids. I mean, I was 23, Leverett was 26. The median age of our company was 23 years old in the beginning. Wow. And then growing into a healthy, mature, professional company, you know, again, going from where each of us had to do everything yeah. to a really professional group with fabulous talented people and really great products it was like a dream come true how did the dot-com business not just take you down like it did everybody else part of it was that we weren't competing with them think about it the internet's not very local now you're doing local things and there are more and more local things coming up but where the daily newspapers were completely threatened by yeah their their ability to do 24-7 news and the newspaper's inability to do that, the Internet wasn't providing local information. So that I, th- they weren't competing with me. And at the same time, very early on, we invested in digital technology and had digitalarkansasbusiness.com and took all of our publications, have a digital component, and then also we do digital marketing, or they do. Sorry, I trip on that all the time, mm-hmm. Carrie. Um, they, the digital marketing side of Arkansas business has been the fastest growing area of the business. Do you have to have a subscription or subscription to get into the uh, website, or the Arkansas business website? Th- it's not free. You can't no, just go there. No, you can have four, I think four visits a month last that I was involved. Is it still um, a weekly magazine or is it a monthly no, magazine? No, it's weekly. It's mm-hmm. still, that's just so much to do every week, along with all the other stuff you do. Yeah, ask Gwen Moritz about that. She, <laughs> the editor, Gwen Moritz. She's very attuned to the rigorous schedule. Of, but so what do you see for the future of journalism? Do you believe it's still an honorable profession? I do. I definitely do. Um, I'm I'm sorry that that has been so disparaged. I don't think it's fair for the mainstream media who really are good, hardworking, ethical people really trying to do the best that they can to report the news. So I think that's been a real uh, problem for the country because people don't know what to believe anymore. I mean, if you if you say that your information sources are all bad, and they're not, they're, they're, there really are more principled and ethical media sources than others. And if you say they're all bad, then people just withdraw from absorbing information in general, and then that makes for an, you know, an educated electorate or you know, community. So I, I, I totally disagree with that characterization of media as being all 
Fake, fake, fake news, news fake on news. the take and just doing it to sell subscription and you know it's it's just not it's not the case so you think journalism is still still a great honorable profession that you can make a living at totally so if you're speaking to a young adult wanting to pursue a career in journalism what would you tell them please do if you're smart and you're ethical and you really care about your community or the community that you're serving and you really want to do good honest hard work please get into the profession and it's creative oh yes and and you know like investigation i was reading an article about the private detectives today and i thought oh man am i too old to become a private detective yes. that sounded so cool what well, they actually do now? nobody would know you were a private detective because you would not look like one no. <laughs> no i don't fit the part at all um but it's you know you you get to do investigating and research and digging and discovery and it's an incredible profession. I love it. All right. I want to tell everybody that you're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Miss Olivia Farrell, retired CEO and co-founder of Arkansas Business Publishing Group. What's next for you, Miss Farrell? I know you're not going to join the Foreign Services, as you once <laughs> thought, but you are service work. You have been on more clubs than anybody I've ever seen <laughs> in my life, and you got to think about what your legacy is. So let's just tell everybody what you currently are. You currently are in the news for being only the fourth woman to be inducted into the University of Arkansas's Walton Business Hall of Fame. You've already been on the Arkansas Women's Hall of Fame. Rotary Club 99's 2019 Leader of the Year, Governor Mike Beebe, gave you the Distinguished Citizen Award. And there is a portrait of you hanging in the lobby of UALR. Come on, I please. love that. I bet you do. I love, I love that because it's a woman. I you just know? love it. I, I just do love, too. Period, love it, period. That's well, pretty plus, cool. Plus, they let me use the 10-year-old photo. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be up there forever, so it needs to be one you like. So what is next? you got two. You got one minute. Mm. Uh, as I mentioned to you before the show started, the only um, real goal I have in mind right now is teaching elementary kids, tutoring elementary children in reading. So that's my biggest ambition. Um, I'd like to be able to socialize again normally. That, that'd be <laughs> so, nice. Just a social queen. That sounds great. <laughs> a social queen and uh, a reading tutor. That's my big ambitions. Love it. Here's your gift for coming on the show. A U.S. Oh, and Arkansas desk so set to put on your desk at home thank while you. you're reading. You're welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. I'd like to say in closing to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, contact me, Gray, that's G-R-A-Y, at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.